This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. It's the Christmas special. Gone are the old days of Lars serving us Nordic petrol at two in the afternoon in a studio in King's Cross. But the festive joy remains. There's a bit of football to get out of the way. A Champions League draw and some part one said to capitalise on, or at least his chance to say, I told you so, about Andone Iriola. Then we'll delve into the mailbag from uplifting moments of the year to review of Lou Ronay Glendening's pincer-like attack on me at the end of yesterday's podcast. Plus some nice Christmas messages from all our panellists. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Robin Cowan, welcome. Good morning, Max. Jonathan Wilson, hello. Morning, how are you doing? Very well. Barry Glendenning, hello. Greetings. And uh, Sid Lowe, uh, welcome for part one or longer. It's up to you, my friend. Well, I, I'm I'm hoping to last longer, Max. Wow. I, I have I have the, possibly the, the, the most terrifying words in history today. You have an appointment with the IT desk. Um, oh, so, wow. <laughs> let's, so I, I think it's uh, it's late enough that we can we can do this. Wow. Uh, Ryan says, is Robin taking the role of host with Max Panelist after putting in a 10 out of 10 performance on his week's break? <laughs> Don't get any ideas, Cowan. This shed is more expensive than it looks and I've mm. got to pay it off with these podcasts. <laughs> um, but thank you for uh, taking my place and doing an admirable job. It was an honour. And Joel did tell me, producer Joel, this is, told me not to say this, but it is a lot harder oh. than you make it oh, work. There so, we go. Well done. Oh, this was, don't say that. Apologies, Joel. But this I feels nicer than Johnny Lou, Barry, uh, Barry and Barney Ronnie really going for it at the end. You could the see. Pylon, could the pylon. The pylon yesterday. They, they got giddy with excitement. See, each one of them just... Never have three panels been so eager to get involved. Who knew? I didn't realise I was just absolutely hated. I bet there's a WhatsApp group that I'm not in. Anyway, we'll get to that. The Champions League draw then uh, was done yesterday. Um, Arsenal go to Porto, Napoli, Barca, PSG, Real Sociedad, Inter, Atleti, PSV, Borussia Dortmund, Lazio, Bayern Munich, Copenhagen, Man City and RB Leipzig, Real Madrid. Um, Barry, what stands out for you, if anything? Well, I think what stood out for me was the immediate... Uh, dismissal of of this draw as being incredibly boring. Now it wasn't the draw itself. You know, John Terry did a perfectly adequate job of swirling the little footballs around the upturned contact lenses and picking them out and unscrewing them. I don't think he dropped any or anything like that. Possibly would have been more entertaining if he turned up in full Chelsea kit as a <laughs> reminder of. His spot was a 2011 12, uh, 12 trophy lift. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I thought it was okay. But, it, it, you know, there are always people on social media that, you know, no matter what is happening, they will find something to complain about, uh, no matter how good something is. But, you know, there were quite a few uh, journalists who, who I admire and whose opinions I would have a lot of time for were also saying, oh, this is a really bad draw. I thought it was fine. I mean, Porto Arsenal is good. Just just going down the Napoli Barcelona, that could be an absolute classic. PSG Real Sociedad. You know, I personally am always here for PSG finding a new and more humiliating way to go out of the tournament. And what could be more humiliating than getting beaten by a team whose most expensive signing is, I think, about 20 million euros. 
and hasn't really done much for them this season. Sid can correct me if I'm wrong. Inter Atletico Madrid, great. PSV Borussia Dortmund, meh. Uh, Lazio Bayern Munich, the same. Copenhagen Man City, it's the, the team with the lowest budget in the competition, I think, against the team with the highest. And Leipzig Real Madrid, nothing wrong with that. I mean, some of these ties may end up being one-sided turkeys, but uh, to use a Christmas analogy, but I'm, I'm sure plenty of them will be absolutely brilliant. So I, I was slightly taken aback by how dull everyone found them. But I suppose this is where we are now, that the, the richer teams are getting richer and, and people were hoping that PSG and Inter, uh, the, the two sort of big teams who didn't finish top of their groups would be drawn against someone more interesting than, than Real Sociedad and Atletico Madrid, but that didn't happen, and it's mm. all John Terry's fault. Do you do you eat a one-sided turkey at Christmas? Or do you, uh... <laughs> I don't actually like turkey very no. much. I'm no, not no. a turkey fan. No. I've just I'm... actually been, before we came on air, we were recording this at half eight in the morning. I was listening to TalkSport, and Jeff Stelling, who's their new sort of breakfast host, two mornings a week, uh, put out the controversial view that he, he doesn't like gravy on his Christmas turkey, uh, which I think the, the only thing that can save turkey is gravy. You need as much right. moisture as you can get. Stelling, we finally found the, the reason that the world will turn against Jeff He's going to get cancelled. <laughs> he is. Um, actually, I mean, it's really hard, Robin, isn't it, given that these games are two months away or something but if City sort of is malaise pushing it too far continues I think Copenhagen away at least in the first leg could be quite interesting yeah you said it didn't you on the last pod it was really quite scary watching them I mean you, you kind of skirted around it but it did look a bit like a clan meeting <laughs> didn't it the Copenhagen <laughs> yeah. fans all in white yeah. Um, oh yes yeah <laughs> I remember I remember the Brighton there were two Brighton fans in ponchos white ponchos mm. and and it yeah, was Yeah, really got to be quite, careful with a white poncho yeah, with a hood. You have yeah, because they both the points were up. You've never been <laughs> you've never been to Spain in 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 East no. have you? <laughs> in Seville, yeah. Have just 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 go oh, into no. Google and and type in Easter week Spain and you want you want images that look a little bit like a clan meeting that's them. Now there'll be lots of Spaniards getting very upset about me because of course it's not that. Mm. But it uh, aesthetically does look a little that way. Anyway, I mean that that aside, Robin, you know, whatever gets you excited about football matches, <laughs> yeah. um, it is it is a notoriously <laughs> tough place to go, and kind of hope well, we want some upsets within this draw. Oh, we do, we do absolutely. Um, the only thing is, I guess, it's just that that thing that people bring up about it being a two-legged. Probably that means the sort of stronger, more well-resourced team usually goes through. But yeah, because it's. It'll be the home draw first. Um, it should be uh, that. Yeah, no, I, I think they've all, they've all got something to to get excited about. Um, it, I think it's just because we the the boring aspect maybe became um, came through the sort of England centric eyes and people going well. Both Arsenal and Manchester City have fairly easy draws on paper, at least. Well, you just said, Max, we all want a, an upset, and that's what we're looking for. Well, the, the, from a Spanish point of view, there's a really obvious upset, and that is that PSG are going out. Right now, and obviously, look, you, you, you've put the proviso in there, and we always put the proviso in there. It's two months away, and, and I must admit, I have a huge amount of faith in Luis Enrique, and, and there's a bit of me that believes that PSG will be a good team by then. But at the moment, Real Sociedad are better than them. 
So, and at the moment, it wouldn't even feel like much of a surprise to me for, for, for Real Sociedad to knock them out. But if you look at it as a, from the point of view of, here's two teams, who should go through? Who's the obvious favourite? Yes, it's PSG. But watch them play, and, and it really isn't. Tell us a bit more about Sociedad, because cause I think they've probably put a lot of people listening who haven't seen them kick a ball yet this season. Yeah, they're, I mean, and this has also been coming for a while. It's not just this season. You know, this is a team that won the Copa del Rey a couple of years ago that's got back in the Champions League after 10 years. It's a squad. They, Real Sociedad are the team that you wish your team were. In the, in, the, in the almost everything they do, they do the right way. It's a team that's absolutely packed with youth teamers, whose manager was a, was a former player and a youth teamer, packed with people who, who, are, who are local, in a stadium that, that, that's been redeveloped and makes a lot of noise now and is fantastic fun, that play really, really good football, that can play it both ways. If they need to be a, a slightly deeper team, a slightly more resistant team, they can be it. But if they want to come at you, they can do it. They score a reasonable amount of goals. They've got three or four players that are really lovely to watch. Take Kuba is a really great player to watch. Bryce Mendes is really nice. Martin Thubi-Mendy, I think, is just about as good a, a deep-line midfielder as there is in Europe, apart from maybe Rodri at, at Man City. They 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 do almost everything well. You look at the their, their group, they got through their group. They were not behind for a single minute in the whole of that group. It's not they didn't lose. They were not behind for a single minute in the whole of that group. They, were, they, they almost got caught out in the first game by Inter in the last 15 minutes or so, but until around about 70, 75 minutes, they completely destroyed Inter and totally dominated them. They were better than Inter, I think, in the second game, although it is true that Inter then had chances to have, to have possibly won it, but they went to San Siro and didn't concede. I think they're a, they're, they're a genuinely good team. Um, now, obviously, between now and February, things might change. Obviously, PSG, the name of PSG is everything, and just the fact that they've got Mbappé always makes you think that you know PSG should be the strongest team in it. And again, as I say, I, I've got enough faith in Luis Enrique that I feel like PSG will be better by then. But right now, I, I don't even think that that big shock would be that much of a shock. Uh, Wilson, what's taken your eye? I have to say, I was in the camp and think it's quite a dull draw. I mean, the fact you've got the Spanish champions playing the Italian champions... That should excite us. But the truth is, Barcelona and Napoli are not anywhere near as good this season as they were last season. So that's not the, the sort of tumultuous clash it could be. Peter Bosch going back to Dortmund, where he had a miserable six months. I mean, but I can't say, if you look at the storylines of people Peter Bosch was managing six years ago, you, you, you're scraping the barrel. Sausage against PSG is clearly the standout type. We've, all, you know, we've already talked about that. And I slightly regret when I was writing my previews yesterday because you have to do them at pace. I didn't fully think it through. So the more L'Oreal press, the the more trouble PSG will have. And PSG were terrible in the group. You know, they got through because of that very iffy penalty against Newcastle. Um, so are they going to are they going to play it? You know, a, a more sort of conservative form of football so they don't fall into that trap? I haven't, I haven't seen any sign of them being capable of doing that or having the sort of capacity to even imagine doing that. So I, 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 I mean, the, the two months issue makes it difficult, but I, I think they could be in big trouble. But then, they, you know, they didn't top the group. So is it a shock if they go out to a group win? I, I guess not, really. So I was, yeah, I was pretty underwhelmed by the draw. Sorry. That's okay. You're allowed to be underwhelmed or whelmed or overwhelmed. You know, whatever level of whelmed you are. Yeah, you know, I, just, I just think European football now, Champions League now, is has sort of... It's just lost what it had even five years ago. It's, it's it doesn't feel like the the most enjoyable peak form of football anymore. The Premier League feels feels like a better product now, and that's very sad. 
Speaking of the Premier League, Marcio says, not a question, but the right thing to do. Get Sid low and apologise to the man for every time you doubt him. Iriola is thriving and he was always right, as Andrew would say. And the new Nike slogan too, just do it, mate. Yes, Sid, for a few weeks, we thought you were an absolute fraud yeah. and perhaps <laughs> never, don't even, you don't even go to games in Spain. We just take what you say as, as correct and you could be talking absolute guff. I'm I'm just clinging to that for a few weeks bit there because I just you didn't need the other for a few weeks you just think I am I, I I had no idea that you'd been quite so down on Andoni Iraola until I started seeing messages on Twitter of people saying have Barry and Max apologised to you yet and and it took me a while thinking what have they done what, what what's happened have they, you know have they have they come around and thrown eggs at my house or something there's a reason why they need to apologize i mean you could you could have found out by listening to the podcast perhaps it but you know yeah i could have i could have done that yeah. but don't be silly <laughs> i must admit you know to start with and, and obviously things didn't start that well and they they've had a few problems they had one one of the assistant coaches couldn't get a work permit so wasn't wasn't there i i always had the my one doubt with within Iraola going to going to England was whether or not the things that made him different in Spain would make him so different in England. So that direct high intensity um game, the 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 pressing people all over the pitch, there was a bit of me that thought that really stands out in Spain where the game isn't quite as physical. If you do that in a Premier League, will it work as well? And I, I did wonder if his, you know, if if his if his kind of his point of differentialness, if that's a real word, which it probably isn't, was was going to be quite so significant in England. Then, of course, they had a really hard start to the season in terms of the the, the fixture list. But I must admit, at the start of it, I was looking at it thinking, oh, but it might not be a bad thing to play the big teams at the start when they're not yet fully ready. And when when a lot of what they do, um, or a lot of what Idola did in Spain, was about getting the big teams, encouraging them to play out, and then going, ah, we've got you, and get on them. And there's a bit of me that thought, well, maybe actually playing the big teams early will help them on that. Although, objectively speaking, it was a really hard start. Um, and I'm glad they've got it right. I mean, they, there's no doubt that he was very, very close to it not lasting and him not reaching this point. Um, but but I'm pretty pleased that it's that it's working. I mean, yeah, there's no guarantee that they now continue to play well. But but at least at least he's not seen as a fraud. And just as importantly, he's not, at least I'm not, at least not this time. Well, for the moment, you've earned a temporary Yeah, reprieve. for the moment, exactly. I've got a temporary reprieve. There's no, there's no way this is permanent. But I, th- I think it was quite interesting what happened with the whole Sid thing, because no one really knew much about, or anything, if, if I'm honest, about Anthony Iriola when he got the Bournemouth job. I don't think I'd ever heard of him, if I'm honest. And... Then you wrote this. You say you surprise me, yeah. Barry. <laughs> this <laughs> definitive guy. Well, there's no real reason why I would. You know. No, uh, there is no reason. It's not like Raya were playing in European football or anything. Why should you know about the eighth best team in Spain or the ninth best team in Spain? So it would be quite easy to pretend you're some sort of. I, I happy to admit I'd never heard of the guy, but so but I read Sid's sort of this is introductory. Bournemouth fans, this is what you're getting. But it quickly became apparent that watching Bournemouth play, that everyone else had also read it, whether they're commentators or pundits or presenters. And you could hear them, you know, not plagiarising, but just referencing things they had clearly read in this definitive Sid article. If there was a, a Brian's gun, you know, montage of your piece, Sid, <laughs> that, that, that could probably be put together of like myself, like, you know, whoever's presenting. <laughs> it was, yeah, 
that pretty much this was the only material it was poorly researched you've got to say if it was like a dissertation <laughs> one source but it, it was kind of the only one mm. that was out there True. in english so that's the one everyone was reading so sid had i i was really quite excited because sid had talked him up so much and then was watching Boromir play and, and it was just getting <laughs> week in, week out. We're going, oh, Sid. But, but they, they weren't, though. They, were, they, they actually played pretty well at the start of the season. This is where I think people have... Uh, I mean, look, I'm not saying things haven't improved. That, that I'm not saying it hasn't taken some time for his ideas to, to, to settle in. But I don't think their results reflect the performances. I think their only bad performance this season was the 3-0 defeat at Everton. It may be the 4-0 defeat to Arsenal, but you know that can, that can happen against a, a big team if you go behind. I thought they they played pretty well that first two or three months of the season, just didn't get results. And and now, the, as the fixtures have got a bit easier, as maybe they have slightly made the model more efficient, they, they're starting to get the results. Solanke started to score as his confidence improved. Semenya looks a really good player. But it's it's that pace out wide, that's, 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 and Semenya particularly, that's really sort of giving them that thrust and Solanke now taking chances. So, But I, I don't think it was that far from happening Earlier in the season, well, there, there was a couple of games where they got caught late, late on, weren't there? there was it was it the Liverpool game they got caught late on, and, and I can't remember maybe another. Well, they, they they went ahead in that game, and then uh, I mean I think they conceded three pretty pretty quickly around about the hour mark. Right. Uh, but but they had been ahead. Um, but losing at Anfield, I mean, if you're Bournemouth, that's yeah, that's the only thing, Sid. I was going to say is that there was a statistic that kept coming up. They were near the top of the list of losing points from winning positions. I don't know if that's the kind of thing that that. Well, I guess I guess part of that is that you know they're, they're and again this speaks to that idea that I had that that I wondered if what made him different in Spain might not make him as different in England because they they were a very very physical team and I don't mean physical in the traditional sense of you know a, a couple of six foot five blokes who go around kicking people they're physical in that everyone is being closed down all over the pitch that people are covering huge amount of of ground and you think well that is inevitably going to take a while for the players to reach the physical levels that they've got. He's got a fitness coach that that certainly within Spain was was considered one of the best, but obviously there's a process there that takes time. And so maybe that was partly a, a product of, actually they were a bit knackered in those last 15, 20 minutes, and that maybe it would take a while for that not to be the case. And also, as I say, that concern that perhaps in the Premier League, you don't have the advantage as much as you might have thought you would um, in, in Spain. So I think that's possibly possibly part of it and and you know the 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 processes are always going to take take a little while and 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 i i did wonder as well whether there might be an adaptation of the style but but from the sounds of what's happened in england he is playing broadly similarly to the way that they did in spain which was that they really were overloading you on both sides of the pitch sending a lot of men forward really running at you a lot um they've they've had a couple of injuries i think at bournemouth that they they needed players in the, the two central midfield positions were were a slight doubt for them as well and that's a really important position even though when we look at the metrics, you always go, oh, well, look at the, you know, look at the two wings. But actually, the, the number eight position is really, really important to them, and so that that possibly takes a while. But but I'm I'm, I'm kind of glad it's working because, well, a so is I. Otherwise, people would think we're idiots. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. You know, but, but 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 also because there's something quite nice about about his approach and his willingness to kind of take people on, and and, and it's supposed to be fun. And that leads me to the other thing, is that. I, I I got this message from from a, from a, quite a few Bournemouth fans, and it was also the way I'd been explained it in terms of Bournemouth at, at club level, their own decisions. So I thought it's quite interesting that two things came together. That there is this kind of, or there was, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I say this from Spain. This idea that oh, it was desperately unfair to sack uh, O'Neill, and that this mm. isn't right, and this is one of the reasons why why people would sort of be against 
in Arla to start with. And of course, that's true. If your results are poor and you sacked a guy who's actually achieved the targets, you're going to think this is worse than it really is. But that there was a slight myth, which was this idea that O'Neill was hugely popular amongst the fans. Whereas actually, as, as certainly the way it's been communicated to me by Bournemouth fans uh, on, on social media and stuff when Idarla came, that actually there was underlying it all a desire for someone like Idarla to come along, who whether you're good, bad or indifferent, you're at least a bit interesting. And that, that actually the, the, the O'Neill wasn't massively popular, that, that part of what the club were trying to do was saying, well, look, we're not going to be one of the six or seven best teams, but let's at least enjoy this a little bit. I feel we may have exceeded our Bournemouth quota for yeah yeah that's quite the, a lot of Bournemouth the, the decade sorry. unless this is a this is the new Barry's head the new Christmas tra- tradition is just a deep dive an athletic length <laughs> deep dive into goings on at the Vitality Stadium <laughs> and why not um, very quickly Sid uh, Girona um, you've you've really exceeded all your time on I Bournemouth know, I'm sorry, but Girona yeah. on our top of our top of La Liga you know they beat Barcelona four two last weekend beat Alavés three 0 last night you know the fairy tale the Man City owned fairy tale of yeah. Girona. Well, that's the big asterisk, isn't it? And and that's, that, that asterisk is there. There's no there's no two ways yes. about it. That asterisk it is, is a big there. asterisk. Not as big as Obelix, obviously, but still a big <laughs> asterisk. Um, but even still, someone that isn't Barca and Real and, you know, brackets, Atleti winning La Liga could be very exciting. It would be huge, to be honest. It really would be huge. And and there's a risk in, in explaining this. You want to make this answer to be quick. I can't believe it. I, I'm, it's not going to be quick. I'm sorry. There is a risk in explaining what Girona do and explaining um, the, the nature of their squad that risks kind of ignoring that Man City element. Because actually, if you look at the squad, this isn't a team built up. Not a team. Now, obviously, the, the financial structures and all those, those kind of things. But this isn't a team built up of suddenly getting loads of great players in. You go through that squad and that's not a squad, in theory at least, that should be top of the league. What they're doing in footballing terms really is genuinely extraordinary. And, by the way, they're, they're really good. And This isn't the classic thing of, you know, an unexpected team's top because they're defensively very strong, because they catch a few 1-0 one, one wins here and there, because they're good from corners and free kicks and stuff. This is a team that is taking people apart every week. They're, 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 and they're really, really good to watch. As is customary, we've asked some of the Football Weekly panellists uh, to give us a Christmas message. Here are the first few. Merry Christmas, everyone. Buon Natale. And as the Italian newspapers like to wish for the managers who are getting close to the sack at Christmas time, may you enjoy your panettone in peace. Hello there. Uh, John here. John Bruin, that is. Um, it falls to me to uh, wish you, uh, the listeners, uh, happy Christmas, compliments of the season to those who celebrate uh, and to say thanks to Max and Barry uh, and producer Joel and the rest of the team for having me on uh, and putting up with my usual loads of nonsense. Uh, but I hope you all have a good time. You'll probably hear from me over Christmas uh, and I hope to speak to you all in the new year. Cheers. Hello, good evening. This is Jonathan Faduva. Just wishing all the Football Weekly listeners a very Merry Christmas. Hope you have a fantastic holiday season. To you, Max. To you, Barry. I doff my cap. It's been a pleasure. Uh, have a fantastic festive season. Take care. Happy Christmas, Max, Barry and all the listeners. I uh, hope you enjoy spending time with your loved ones. But failing that, uh, I hope you can find a workable stream for Hatay Spore versus Besiktas in the Turkish Super League. I'm pretty sure that's what Jesus would have wanted.
Dear Max, Barry, listeners, greetings, very Christmassy greetings from a train from Munich to Cologne. Have a tremendous festive season. About it, really. Cheers. Hi, everyone. Um, just want to say Happy Christmas, uh, Happy New Year to those who celebrate. Um, and uh, thanks to everyone who listened. Um, to everyone who sent a question or just kind of fell asleep on the tube with their headphones in, uh, still kind of find it really surprising that anyone actually wants to listen to this stupid podcast. So, um, so appreciated. And um, Merry Christmas to Max and Barry, I suppose. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, Max, Barry and all Birmingham City supporters. Have a lovely, safe, prosperous um, an enjoyable seasonal period for those of you that celebrate this time of year. It's been a great year. There's been some laughs. There's been some tears, if you're a United fan. Um, but it's been another great year for the Guardian Football Weekly and the wider family. So let's do it all again in 2024. Peace! Hello, Max. Hello, Barry. It's Paul McInnes here. Just wanting to say thank you so much for having me on your podcast in 2023. And also that I hope you both have a wonderful year in 2024 and that you both continue the journey of uh, self-discovery and development that you are on and is achieving such great results. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, On to some questions. Felix says, just received my Guardian Football Weekly book uh, as an early Christmas present. Loving it so far with Wilson's intro setting off the laughs. That's what he's known for. Uh, one question. For... <laughs> I didn't mean it to come out like that. That's I am, as much of an arsehole as, as Barney and Johnny said yesterday. This Christmas party's got a bit of needle, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> one question for Wilson, though. Did you think of inserting the titles of your many books subtly into the pages? Could have been top marketing. He obviously hasn't got to the second word search where he'll discover... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, a question from Driving Class says, uh, um, what's been the most uplifting thing that happened in football in 2023? Um, I did send this to the WhatsApp group. I don't know if any of you saw it. Um, uh, no, no, anyone? <laughs> any- I, I saw it, I reckon, an hour before we started recording. Yeah. And I was really struggling to think of a single uplifting thing that's <laughs> happened in the last year. I, I, I've got, I've got one thing. Okay, Wilson. Yeah, what warmed your heart? Well, I don't know. I don't. I'm, I'm not sure. I should be bringing the laughs. I, I shouldn't be bringing <laughs> happiness if that's not my role. If that's not my job. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a tiny thing, but in the four-four uh, draw between Chelsea and Manchester City, which itself was an uplifting thing because it's just such a crazy game. Yeah. After Cole Palmer scored that penalty, as they line up to kick off, Holland gives him a hug, which I think is just really nice that two former teammates at that moment can still sort of have affection for each other despite tension of the game. And then a couple of minutes after that, City got a free kick just outside the box and Cole Palmer sticks his head into the discussion where they're working out what they're going to do, obviously thinking they won't remember that, that I've left. And he sort of gets away for a little while, and then Holland drags him away, and they're both <laughs> laughing. That's just a nice thing. Football should be like that. Former teammates should be allowed to be friends. They should be allowed to have a laugh on the pitch. It doesn't really matter. Oh, it does matter. Oh, it matters a lot. Um, 
Uh, there is, I, I mean, there's an obvious one from this weekend. In fact, there's two. I, I just every time I see Nico Williams and Inyaki Williams play together, it, it it makes my heart melt a little bit. And and they're both brilliant at the moment for Athletic. But then there's also another one from this weekend, El Dense, a second division team. Someone collapsed in the crowd uh, at the weekend. It was very, very hot and, and someone collapsed in the crowd and the medical staff run to attend to them. And so does the El Dense manager, who's also a qualified uh, doctor. So I quite like that. Huh. That's nice. Um, uh, Barry, have you found you've had an hour to, to consider it? It's nothing, there's nothing in the game. Well, there was, there was one thing that sort of gradually or eventually sort of came to mind, which is uh, Sunderland were playing Sheffield Wednesday back in, I think it was in October, and some scrote of a Sheffield Wednesday fan was holding up a, his phone, taunting Sunderland fans. He had a picture of the late Bradley Lowry on his phone. He was using this to taunt, you know, Bradley Lowry was the poor kid who who died of a rare form of cancer and was famous for his friendship with Jermaine Defoe. And uh, yeah, so this, this guy anyway, I think he ended up getting a suspended jail sentence and publicly lamed and shamed and, and humiliated for his actions. But in the immediate aftermath of that, when, when the publicity surrounding it sort of reached its zenith um, and its publicity the game really doesn't need but we see the kind we see all too often Sheffield Wednesday fans some Sheffield Wednesday fans set up a GoFundMe page and I think they'd raised almost 20 grand within a couple of days for the Bradley Lowry Foundation uh, so you know that that was a nice thing to see and I, I, I quite like the way that you know the song "Feed the Scousers," the the poverty chanting that people are mm. trying to get rid of out of the game now. Uh, just the way certain clubs seem to have in on Merseyside, at least they they've kind of reclaimed that chant and they use it to publicise food banks. And I I really like the way a lot of football fans who are already spending a hell of a lot of money following the game they love, uh, you know. Most clubs, or an awful lot of clubs, have food donation points outside grounds, which do a lot of good work in in the locales for uh, just because there are a lot of people in the UK uh, after X number of years of Tory rule, what is it, 13, that can't afford to eat or just by basic provisions, uh, personal hygiene products, food, basic food. So, yeah, that that's kind of nice to see. Actually, that, that that reminds me, I think I was actually could not think of a column to write because I'd run out of, I like playing football even though I'm old. I, you know, I can't do that every two weeks. And I did put a tweet out <laughs> saying, you know, look, I, you know, I wrestle with all the tough things in the game. We talk about them on the pod. And like, can just somebody tell me something nice that someone does at your club or, or like, you know, or your club does. And I, it was actually staggering. How, and I couldn't get them all in the piece. I just basically wrote a list. It was lazy journalism, but it was actually really quite uplifting just to see how many people there are, like from grassroots and volunteers all the way up to the top teams in the Premier League who are doing great things. I think Alan San Maximum had, it might have been last year, but he, I think he took it was last year, yeah, yeah, all these kids to a toy shop to say, you know, have whatever you like. And, you know, going back to, you know, the community guy at Blackburn who does like amazing work in like bringing different people of different faiths together to, you know, just loads of clubs. It was, it was incredibly uplifting. Robin, I've given you about 10 minutes to think now. Well, it's a slight a bit like Jonathan's. Oxford United have a new manager, um, Des Buckingham, who 
left Mumbai City, uh, who paid quite a lot of money to get him out of there. And he'd been very successful there. And there was a nice clip of him leaving at the airport and there were loads of fans saying thank you. And they were seeing him off. And I just thought, well, I've got to say, because he arrived with us because Liam Manning was poached by Bristol City. I can tell you for one, there yeah. wasn't the same reception <laughs> for Liam Manning <laughs> when he left for no. Bristol City. They weren't uh, waving him down the M4, um, I can tell you that. So I just thought that was really nice that they, they were obviously a lot more mature than us there. And, mm. and also just a couple of weeks ago, there was a, clip of doing the rounds of social media of Mary Earps just what um going to see a fan and she was just she like couldn't contain herself this little girl and yeah I love that stuff you know hook it to my veins but it's just again just Mary Earps is the best of us she's brilliant and it's just lovely to see how much that now women's players mean so much to to fans and that was just that was really really nice to see Michael says I'm no expert, but would I be right in saying that this season is absolutely brilliant? Any given match, you're you're now no longer surprised by a three or four either side of the score or both. You've got managers with an unshakable commitment to a particular style at Spurs, at City, at Brighton, at Everton, at Bournemouth, Burnley, a spread of likeable challengers. Whatever the hell is happening to Man U, whatever the hell is happening at Chelsea, the Everton story arc, the Gary O'Neill story arc, the Harry Maguire story arc, Scott McTominay, Aston fucking Villa. And yeah, Man City will probably win it, but they're going to have to actually fight. Everyone's got their moment and their crash and the big four as a concept, at least for now, is dead with at least the top eight full of exciting manic favourites. It's all fun enough that I find myself feeling guilty about not including an an eighth-place West Ham managed by David Moyes amongst the entertainers or that solid confidence of Brentford just doesn't justify a mention. More of this, please. Is this the best Premier League season ever, Wilson? I think it started very well. You've got to be slightly cautious about talking about the title race because Arsenal were further ahead of City at this point last season. Um, but the, the, there are more challenges. The fact that Villa have joined them and are, are so good to watch definitely helps. But I, I definitely found myself looking forward to watching more Premier League football this season than than is normal. Um, at the expense of, of the Champions League, sadly. But uh, but yeah, you know, I, I I was sort of frustrated with that West Ham Wolves game on Sunday. That I yeah you know, I wanted to watch Arsenal v Brighton or Brentford v Villa, and that was definitely the my my last choice of the games on the, that day. But actually, it ended up being a really good game. And West Ham, West Ham now won seven of the last nine, despite losing 5-0 in that run to Fulham. And then, you know, Kudus is really good to watch. Jared Bowen's really good to watch. Pakita's really good to watch. So even even West Ham are playing, I mean, they didn't play nice football against Palace when we actually went to see them. But apart from that, they are good good to watch this season. And, and you know, Wolves were, were closer in that game than 3-0 makes it sound. So yeah, I, I don't think there's any team in the Premier League at the minute who had Dreadful. Well, maybe Palace actually, but even they drew at City, and even they've got Roy. Yeah. Roy's always worth watching on the touchline. I, I, I feel that a bit. I feel I don't know what you think, Barry. That I do now, and see, I'm in Australia, and so I sort of wake up, and I know the games have happened, and then I either sort of wait for match of the day without knowing the scores, or I go through the, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, the games, and they have a spoiler alert, so you don't see the scores. And I'm genuinely like excited to to find out what's happening. I mean, maybe that's maybe that you know we all should be right, but but sometimes the job can get in the way of that. Good, good for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you don't have to be excited about the games. Uh, no, I I do enjoy watching them. Uh, I I I can't say I'd noticed this season was particularly more exciting than last. But I suppose now that I think about it, or is it because you know we'd we'd basically written off 
three teams very soon into the season, but uh, Bournemouth and Luton are both showing signs of life. Um, I, I don't think Sheffield United are anywhere near good enough to stay up, but you never know. Chris Wilder might get a tune out of them. but uh, And the fact that Man City are showing you know, signs of serious weakness uh, is heartwarming. Um, but I, I would say I'm no more or less enthused about it this season than I would be any other. Mick says, uh, morning all, can you please set the ground rules for referring to positions on the field by shirt numbers? I assume this refers to pre-squad numbering. Number 10 has become the playmaker, but was usually the second striker. I think John Toshak or Alan Gowling. I'll accept Platini, Maradona, Zico, etc. Number eight was indeed a forward-thinking midfielder in the middle, think Lampard, Gerrard. Number six presents a problem. Numbers four, five and six would consist of two centre-backs and a defensive midfielder, whereas the midfielder could be either a four, Brian Talbot, a five, Ray Kennedy, or a six, Javi. So should we, we should all stop using number six as lazy shorthand to describe the defensive midfielders as it refers to one-third midfielder, two-thirds central defender, think Stones, Beckenbauer. Otherwise, all is fine. Best wishes, Mick Nicholson. Um, <laughs> Robin, are you, I mean, squad numbers have kind of changed this. I've I've very much got my 442 shirt numbers in mm. my head, but I'll let you leave. Uh, yeah, no, I'm... Not bothered really about that at all. <laughs> did, did you, do you want me to explain this historically? <laughs> yes, laughs yeah, with laughs, obviously, but yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> so shirt numbers are first introduced when everybody plays C three five, and because teams tended to write down their, their teams from the top of the page, that's why the goalkeeper is number one, the right back is number two, the left back is number three, right half four, centre half five, left half six. Right wing seven, inside right eight, centre forward nine, inside left ten, outside left eleven. I haven't been many laughs so far. I, admit, I was <laughs> no, I'm interested. I am interested. There, and so then as you begin to 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 fiddle with that as a basic formation, different countries move different players about. So it, what happens in England uh, after the change in the offside law in 1925 is that the centre half gets pushed back between the two fullbacks to become a third defender, which is why we still use centre-half to refer to a centre-back, sometimes confusingly. And so that's why the five in English notation is always a centre-back. And then as a fourth defender was added, as as another centre-back was added, you either push back the number four or the number six, which is why you either had two, four, five, three or two, five, six, three. Both of those make sense to an English mindset. In Argentina, though, when they first created a third defender, it was all to do with a River Plate player called um, uh, Norberto Yacano, who was nicknamed the Stamp because he was so good at man marking. And he was a right half. So the four. Not because he played like Phil Stamp. No, Phil Stamp had not at no, that okay. point been born. Um, <laughs> right, if we fine. start introducing sort of time loops into this, it'll take much longer <laughs> and be a lot more confusing. So the four then becomes the third defender in, in Argentina. So the four ends up being the right back. Um, and so that's why in Argentina, the two is a centre back. The five is left as the holding midfielder. So in Argentina, they refer to El Cinco as the... Yes, Javier Mascherano would would be a Cinco. But different countries do it different ways. But the use of 6, 8 and 10 is very Dutch-German. And the way theirs worked was when you went to a 4-3-3, it doesn't really map onto English systems. We adopted the 4-3-3 very late. The 6 was the deepest line of the three midfielders. The 8 was a sort of shuttling player. And the 10 would be the most creative. So either the second striker or the playmaker, depending. 
the only thing all countries seem to agree on is that seven is the right winger and 11 is the left winger and nine is the, the centre forward and one is the goalkeeper. But you often see 16 as a goalkeeper. And the reason for that is France went to five substitutes long before most of the rest of, of the world. And so if you have a numbers one to 16, because you've got five subs, the goalkeeper would always be the last name. So he'd always be the 16. So you see a lot of goalkeepers from French-speaking countries like to wear 16. Still not bothered, Bobby? <laughs> or... I think I'm just going to go. I'm going to go get another drink and see what the canapes are doing. <laughs> if that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> the Royal Variety performance was on TV on Sunday, and I was. Some of the reviews of it were mixed. They said it was a little bit boring. I think if they'd got Jonathan out on stage to just to do that little explainer, uh, King. Will, or Prince William and uh, Kate would have... He'd have had them in the palm of his hand. <laughs> and now to explain the history of... I would love that if you know, Joe Pasquale had brought you on. Uh, <laughs> um, ben says, can you think of any negatives to capping minutes per player to prevent injuries? Maybe a certain amount of minutes for each half of the domestic season? Players would have longer careers. We could see big teams having to rotate, possibly allowing for more upsets. Um, Sid, we've got Bernardo Silva saying there are too many games in the calendar. I think we all agree that there probably are. Yeah, we do all agree. But but, but it, it seems that sometimes every time we look for a solution, the solution basically means let's create even more of a situation in which the big clubs stockpile all the best players. So if you, if you do a minute cap, isn't, isn't actually the ultimate solution that that gut, because now let's say, let's use Man City and sorry, Man City fans, it just feels like, like we're picking on you, but you take some Man City and say, right, this is Man City. You've got 25 yeah. really good players, but now you're only allowed X number of minutes. Well, the logical conclusion of that is the guy that's playing quite a lot at say Bournemouth, just to use someone we've already talked about, gets picked up by Man City to play the extra little minutes to allow the other guy to rest his 300 minutes or 400 minutes or how many it needs to be. So that the tendency, the problem feels to me there's a tendency always seems to be to be more and more resources to the bigger clubs in in this man city bournemouth scenario is calvin phillips still not getting a game (laughs) (laughs) no he's now getting the 200 minutes that someone else isn't allowed to play but i actually think i mean it's a terrible thing for players clearly and their union should really get god i I can't everything i'm saying there is so boring now you really (laughs) (laughs) yeah You've really hammered my confidence, Fox. But, but Sorry, it's all right. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not here for the laughs. Let me talk about union representation among players. Uh, Chris says, now we're a decent way into the season. I feel it's finally time to ask some questions that have been ignored up to now. Does the panel feel Chelsea should have strengthened in the summer? Excellent. Thank you, Chris. Uh, different Chris says, after the latest inevitable zigzag in Chelsea's season, could the pod reflect on why Lampard was pilloried for going into this with eyes open and should have known better, while Pochettino garners weekly sympathy for his circumstances? Surely Poch is the twice fooled and so must bear the consequent shame on himself. Robin, do we give Poch... An easy ride because he's not possibly. Prime. Yeah, I think he's a bit more of a likable character, probably. Yeah, I mean that that Lampard um, spell was a total and utter disaster, and I for one really enjoyed it very much. Um, I mean, Pochettino, I think he's yeah. getting a bit of flack, isn't he? Uh, a little bit. Um, not much. No, don't feel like enough. Maybe. Maybe not. I. I... I think it's more he Todd Bo- Todd Bowley's more. Todd Bowley's being the sort of he's the one who's getting the most criticism. I'm guessing, isn't he? Being a, a yank trying to get into our league, 
it's it's a bit easy to attack Todd Bowley, isn't it? Basically, because he clearly is an idiot. It was part when when Lampard arrived. You know, it was part of that weird fever dream the Premier League had, where you know Big Sam arrived at Leeds and. Uh, Roy came back to Palace. I'm very much looking forward to whatever happens in April next year. There's just another another moment where you're going, this this can't be real, can it? But this is the thing that that the previous um, questioner was saying about this is the best Premier League season. It's always the best Premier League season because it's just a constant. It's a soap opera. This is why we love it. If you love your soaps, you love your stories. It's just constant storylines, and this is as you say, returning characters. You know, we thought you were dead. Smick <laughs> no, Sam's back <laughs> again. You know, it's uh, it's brilliant. This is it's a soap do think, opera. Do you think, like neighbours, you know, uh, eventually Sam Allardyce will come back? It'll just be a different person playing Sam Allardyce. But, yeah, but everybody, everybody calls him Sam Allardyce, and you're there going, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that's Alan. I'm sure that's Alan Kirbishly. But but everyone keeps calling him Sam Allardyce. How does this work? Um, finally, Fred says, "Are Wilson and Barry over the moon about the appointment of Mick Beale?" formerly of Rangers and Rangers, as their new manager. They might remember he got a bit shirty about Chris Sutton and called him Chelsea's worst ever signing, despite the obvious case of Winston Bogart. Um, uh, Wilson, how do you feel? It's slightly underwhelming in the sense that I, I had my heart set on a on a brightly trousered German man with an iPad. Any, any Anyone. Uh, and I, I feel that's that's the, the one side Sunderland have missed so far. We haven't had this sort of continental technocrat. But... Yeah, Beale's record at, at QPR was was pretty good. He's meant to be the, the brains behind um, Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa, and you know, they were clearly overperforming given given where they are now. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, but the, he was very popular at QPR. You know, he he seems to fit the 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 uh, Louis Dreyfus model. So, am I convinced he's a massive upgrade on Tony Mowbray? Maybe not, but 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 he is he is younger. He he maybe will will be more. He'll outlive uh, Tony Mowbray. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> is that the criteria now? <laughs> I mean, his contract's only till 2026. By which point, Tony Mowbray will turn 63 in 2026. Tony Mowbray was born on the day that Kennedy was shot. Oh, what a day! Right. Uh, so it could have been him. That, that, that is. Are you suggesting some sort of conspiracy here? <laughs> I, I think it's interesting that on the on the debit side of the ledger that day you have not merely Kennedy but also Aldous Huxley and C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. but on the on the profit side you have Tony Mowbray. Is it, pretty much balances is, out. Is, mm-hmm. is, that, is that a trade <laughs> that the world would make? I think I think possibly yeah, is. I think it probably is. Yeah. No, no, I like Tony Mowbray, but yeah, I, 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 as long as we don't get promoted or relegated, it's fine. Just play nice football, finish eighth. That's great. Uh, all right, that'll do for part two. Uh, we'll be back after a few more festive dispatches from the Football Weekly family. Hi, this is Lucy Ward. Merry Christmas, Max. Merry Christmas, Barry, everybody. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Really enjoyed it this year. And also, thanks for inviting me on the live tour. Oh, no, you didn't invite me on the live tour. Oh, but at least you you, you included me in the book. No, you didn't include me in the book. Ah, do one then. Don't wish you Merry Christmas. Have a miserable New Year. Bye. Hello, Football Weekly listeners. Mark Langdon here, just wishing you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Football Weekly is a great show to work on and to listen to. And a large part of that is the way that you listeners send in your crazy questions and your fantastic insight. So have a good one. Hey, Max. 
Hi Barry, hi everyone, it's Noz. Um, obviously as a Muslim, we tried to have Christmas cancelled again this year. And uh, and we would have got away with it too if it wasn't for the pesky GB news viewers and Daily Mail readers. But uh, maybe next year. I hope everyone has a beautiful and amazing Christmas. And if you don't enjoy this time of year for whatever reason, I hope it's manageable. And uh, here's the new year. Hello Max, hello Barry. I just wanted to wish you a very Merry Christmas. I hope you enjoy your Lynx body spray and I think shower gel combo. And to all the listeners out there, I wish you a very Merry Christmas also. And I hope that your teams play well enough this last week to make you believe that 2024 is going to be your year. Merry Christmas, everyone. Well, it's been a pretty horrible 2023, and one thing we can be sure of is that 2024 will be even worse. But thankfully, um, you'll be there, Max, you'll be there, Barry, producer Joel, listeners, you'll be there too. And uh, that's something to look forward to. So to all of you, a very Merry Christmas and my very best wishes for the new year. Hello, it's Sani Rudravadula here. Uh, Merry Christmas to all of you, especially if you're working in retail or the gig economy at this difficult time. Let's make 2024 the year of world-class basics and we can all reach our high-performance goals, just like Barry's done in 2023. Merry Christmas, everyone. Max, Barry, happy Christmas. Um, hope you have a fruitful one, joyful one. Max, from the other side of the world and to all the... Guardian Weekly podcast listeners, uh, you make the show, not any of those two. But really appreciate it. I hope everyone has a blessed time and Happy New Year too. Take care all. Bye. To all Football Weekly listeners, Max and Barry, hope you all have a fantastic Christmas full of football and frolics. And if you are still short of a Christmas present for a loved one or someone you hate, I'm very happy to tell an abridged version of the Will and Win anecdote over the phone for £7.99. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weeklies. Dylan says, uh, what kind of advice has Robin given? Uh, this is Dylan is Barry's fictional son. I don't know. I can't remember why he appeared. Or <laughs> oh, yes. No, it's about, Barry's you quite, you're very attached to your fictional son, aren't you, Barry? How's he doing? I think I've blocked him on Twitter. I've certainly muted him. I mean, so I mean, I'd say that's that's the equivalent. He's been disinherited. (laughs) Oh no, is he not? I can't remember why I've. I think yeah, I think I've only muted him. So sorry, Dylan. He doesn't stand to inherit your Fiona Bruce. Cut out. Cut out. Um, No, I I want that buried with me. Um, I mean, I think when keep me company. Does Fiona Bruce know this? Like the Does real she one. know what? That I have a life-size cardboard cutout of her standing in the corner of my living room. Cardboard cutout of her and you want to be buried It's quite it. funny, actually. I had to get a Sky engineer around a few months ago. I don't know if I told this story. And uh, <laughs> so I, uh, for anyone who, who may not be aware, I, some of my friends got me a, a life-size cardboard cutout of Fiona Bruce for my 50th birthday because I had mentioned in passing in the pub that she was like sort of a a guilty crush. She currently stands in the corner of my living room. I had to get a sky engineer around one day and he walked into the 
the living room and just sort of caught her sight of her out of the corner of his eye and did this <laughs> massive double take. And you could see he was about to ask and then thought better of it. Are, are you a serial killer? <laughs> quickly got on with his work and left. <laughs> the idea that Fiona Bruce would know is a great, it's, a, it's great, isn't it? Also, you could... I like the idea she's got a, a reciprocal one. Or that Barry would Barry would queue for hours at, I don't know, Frontisham Hall uh, one July afternoon with, holding <laughs> the cardboard cutout of Fiona Bruce to get it valued on the Antiques Roadshow <laughs> as Fiona Bruce... As Fiona Bruce sprints out of there as fast as she exactly. Anyway, any anyway, um, Barry's <laughs> fictional son, who he's blocked, a bit like he's continually writing letters to Barry, who just burns them because he doesn't want to know his son. So what kind of advice has Robin given Uncle Max and Auntie Jamie about the terrible twos? Um, none yet. We have some sort of empathy over, especially when you flew to Australia, Robin, about you know dealing with jet lag. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know what that. Well, it really helped because you said how terrible it was going to be, the the flight with my three-year-old. Well, I built it up so much that actually it wasn't so bad because it probably was, like, to the layman. But because because your advice saying how terrible it was going to be, it was not as bad as what I was picturing. So I I really appreciated that. Um, But, yeah, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, we, we, we always complain about... You know, it's very tough being a parent, but it's also yeah. filled with a lot of joy. But it is very, yeah. very challenging thing. Where, where does the joy come from, just out of interest, <laughs> as someone who has no children? Because my friends who have kids, I never see any yeah. joy. So that all this joy must be taking place behind closed doors because all I see is unrelenting misery and irritation and aggravation. And, and cost. And cost, right? expense. Yeah. yeah. So where, where is the joy coming from? So I think the thing is, Barry, is that the joy is not publicised as much because it's not that interesting to other people and it's also not like in terms of comedy and comedians stand-up comedians don't come on stage and talk about how brilliant their kids are it's always kind of it's it's not it's not funny and it's not that interesting to other people so I think it's I don't know it's it's an interesting one it's kind of a default position where you just complain about it which probably isn't a great thing actually but it is very joyful but you haven't answered the question where where is the joy coming from oh all you have to do (laughs) is hear your child sort of say the word tractor but not really but sort of say but not quite get it right and then you forgive not having slept for two years and your relationship falling apart and and being, max, yeah. max I, I, i'm i'm I'm, in, I'm interested in the fact that the, the word you chose is tractor is this because you're trying to teach it to say foot like a traction engine and it's just not quite got there yet is, is this what's happening <laughs> That just sounds, Max, like your expectations of what constitutes a good time have yeah. fallen so low. Yeah. No, that can you, happen no, too. Barry, no, 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 that no, can Barry, happen. When you say vehicle, my heart does melt and I'm so proud. And I, and I send photos to all the WhatsApp groups of little Barry saying vehicle or Neymar. And I just said, and we all go, oh, it's so cute. When he grows up and he learns to speak properly, it'll be a bit sad, really. Miss those moments like you you sent me a whatsapp message of little ian rushton putting a a, a flower in a vase oh that was beautiful and i i just watched it and i was waiting like what's 
Where's the funny? Oh, there's bit? no funny. But there then he smelt the flower. Him. That's the joy. Yeah, that's the you joy. sent me a, a video of him dancing, and it was it was just beautiful. that classic Alan Partridge shoulder shrug. Like, what what am I supposed to do with it? How do I, I respond? To this? I think the truth is, you can live a very rich and happy and fulfilled life without having children, and I am so fucking jealous. but at the same time i wouldn't change it yeah at the same time i wouldn't change it for the world so yeah you know i mean there are there are parenting podcasts you you might change it for the world but you but you change it for a couple of nights sleep. no but i think maybe you'd want i just think you need to you need to really have good admin meetings as a couple and work out when's your time off I've never taken class A drugs, but maybe just go to like a field in Hampshire and just get absolutely high as a kite and see what happens. <laughs> it's unlikely I'm going to do that. Anyway, thank you for the question. Um, Pedro, I love you all. This podcast is so amazing. The final minutes with the Max shaming was absolutely incredible. Thank you for all your work. Seriously, you help the audience more than you know. Get ready for Fluminese beating City on Friday. One can dream big hugs. Uh, Vince says, Max, at what point after Barney, Barry and Johnny turned on you during Monday's pod, did you wonder whether they were staging an intervention? For all panellists, what habit or character trait do you most fear would be in the subject of your your own intervention? Um, Barca Jim, do other panel members want to weigh in with stories of how they were stitched up by evil Max like Jonathan Barry felt brave enough to share in Monday's pod? Yes. Uh, did, did you like getting it off your chest, Barry? And were you excited that Barney and Johnny just couldn't wait to chip in? Yeah, it was. I didn't realise so many other people felt the same way about being, <laughs> what I suppose, misportrayed and having these this cartoonish version of themselves promoted by you. I don't uh, do anything. I'm just a, <laughs> I'm just a reportage. Um, Carl says, "Hi, Football Weekly." I'm a 36-year-old vegan marathon runner who only drinks on special occasions and tries to live a relatively healthy life. Yesterday, I got diagnosed with gout, and I can't help but feel that some higher power somewhere has had an administrative nightmare and given me an affliction that clearly should belong to Mark Langdon. Perhaps perhaps all this running and veg isn't so great, and I just hop on the Langdon literal gravy train, pigs in blankets paired with sausage meat and stuffing, here I come. Have a lovely Christmas, everyone. Uh, yes, our sympathies with you, Carl. I, I, I didn't understand the, the the people being appalled by pigs in blankets are separate from stuffing. Yes. So, like, why why would why would you not have both? Mm. I, I didn't I didn't understand no, but, the phobia. No, but I don't think Mark Langdon has. I don't. I, I we actually didn't ask about stuffing. My understanding was that he was that nobody meant by sausage meat. Sausage meat. Oh. I, I do you know as, as sage and onion sausage meat stuffing. I don't actually stuff the bird with. I just, you know, roast it, you know, 40, 45 minutes, get a nice crispy top on it. Yeah, okay. And that, that's sensational on the plate. No, and no, I don't disagree. I always make far too much because it's sensational in sandwiches for, for sort of a yeah. good three or four days afterwards. No, that is an interesting point. But I, I, I presumed he had pigs in blankets, sausage meat and stuffing. I just think he just had extra, I mean, who knows, with Mark Langdon. But yeah, but we may have, yeah, for... Uh, so I, it's the seafood platter. Where he puts that, I've absolutely no idea. Coming in at eight pm. No, so seafood's light. I, I think, uh, yeah, salmon and prawns in in the evening. I think that makes complete sense. I, I, I mean, I'd I'd, have, I'd I'd add vegetables, but it sounds like the Langdon Christmas dinner is not that far removed from my own. I'd love to see Langdon doing the Gordon Ramsay like or the Jamie Oliver sort of cooking show. That would be. I'd watch that. 
definitely. There's not even any roast potatoes in an Australian Christmas dinner. What? We've just got a, a leg of lamb, a, like slow roast lamb, but then it's some, you know, my brother-in-law's making a potato salad, you know? I'm, potato yeah. salad? But, you know, it's so hot, again, isn't it? That's, that's, that's Boxing Day, is potato salad. Yeah, but this is, a, it's a different, it's just a different, different place, world. isn't it? It's a different world. A, yeah. a worse world, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, it's... It's Australia, yeah. it's Australia, isn't it? Alex <laughs> says it's not a Christmas special, unless we get the story of Barry's header. I I think I'm going to controversially retire the wow. story of my header okay. because in the Football Weekly book, which is still available, and I'm not sure when this podcast is going out, but, you know, still a, a late Christmas gift or, or an early New Year gift, Squires has done the definitive story of Barry's header across three pages. And uh, you all uh, very kindly um, chipped in and, and got, I was, Wilson came round to, to Glendening Towers and presented me with uh, a framed, three framed pictures, which are now hang proudly on the living room wall of uh, Barry's header in all its glory. And I, I A, because we're recording this very early in the morning, uh, UK time, and I'm not the monster that Max portrays me as. I'm quite sober. Uh, well, very completely sober. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> One nil to Max. <laughs> Not saying uh, a word. And, and it, it, yeah, I, it, it doesn't really merit another telling no. unless I've had like three bottles of red wine or and several shots of of Lars Nordic juice. Not a euphemism. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yes. Yeah. This, this. This. Yeah. And. and um, <laughs> following this ham-fisted effort to explain why I'm not telling it, it's just going to pale into total inferiority. So, yeah, it's time to retire the story of Barry's head. Mm. What I was thinking, actually, is in years to come, yeah. you know, when, when we're all far too old to be doing this and we've been replaced by younger, hipper people who's who have better cultural references than us or more up-to-date ones, We'll probably do like a football weekly live old man tour where we'll all be plucked out of whatever obscurity we're in to to put the band back together and go on a tour. And no doubt we'll all need the money, so we'll we'll all reluctantly do it. And so maybe I, I'll wheel it out again at that stage where I can just be as drunk as I like. Is um is Fiona Bruce looking at the pictures of your she, header? She can be. <laughs> no, I mean... In oh, your, she is, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's she, nice. Yeah, they're sort of in one corner. She's in the other. Oh, beautiful. Uh, all right, then. That'll do for today. Uh, we're we'll all to have shots of Lars's Nordic juice um, uh, to bring in Christmas. Uh, there's no other way. Um, but uh, thank you, Wilson. Cheers. Thank you. Happy Christmas. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, save the yawn for the end. Thanks, Sid. <laughs> Pleasure. Thanks, Robin. Thanks so much, Max. Uh, thank you, Barry. Yes, Merry Christmas, everyone.
Um, uh, Merry Christmas. Adam finally says, has big podcast inserted a Griezmann loan to Atleti style clause in the contract that prohibits the string quartet version of the pod theme from being played more than a certain number of times per season without triggering add-ons? I'd love for it to make a return. We will leave you with uh, the Football Weekly theme as played by... Ah, shit. It was some bloke I met in Fortune Street Park who was holding a (laughs) cello who liked the pod. (laughs) So thank you. Him and his mates, you know who you are. Uh, Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Ah, Tom Greed it was. Thank you, Tom. Football Weekly uh, is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian. 